welcome to the Friday edition of 7 Investing. Now, I know it's hard to tell. Days all blend into each other, but it is Friday. My name is Daniel Brooks-Pline, but you, of course, you can call me Dan. I'm joined today by Manisha Sammy, Matt Cochran, and Austin Lieberman. Manisha, how are things in your neck of the woods? You have not been on in a while. You know, things are a bit busy. We have COVID-19 in full rage, so a lot of information on vaccines. Um, but, you know, aside of that, we have medical conferences. So there's a lot of great news that's coming out. So it, it, it's busy, but uh, a lot of good news. So, Austin, you are north of me in Florida. Uh, what's the situation? I would say here in West Palm Beach, pretty good mass compliance, but um, definitely some people not doing it. Uh, what's it look like where you are? A lot of go out and see a lot of people in mass, but you know, I got Starbucks today and I was in the drive through and I was just thinking the, the, um, the people inside were wearing their masks. Right. But then I saw them multiple times, like move their, use their hands with no glove to fix their, their masks. So I wonder, uh, from a food compliance type thing, if, if there's actually more germs potentially introduced by people, uh, wearing masks and then serving food cause they're constantly touching their face. So mm. just a, just an interesting thought. It is a lot easier to drink your coffee if you take your mask off. <laughs> I will I will certainly go there. So on today's show, we, we're doing something special. We went to Twitter and we asked you, our audience, for uh, stocks that are under the radar. And we got a couple hundred suggested. We did about a dozen on Wednesday's show. We're going to do another dozen today. Feel free. This is an interactive show. Feel free to share your comments, uh, your questions. Of course, we're going to hit what we're watching. Uh, Matt and I are going to talk about the end of the movie business in what we're watching. A lot of great stuff coming up. But let's start with Manisha. Uh, you're going to talk about a stock for, uh, suggested by two people, Jason and Matthew and Sandeep David. Uh, and that's Pacific Biosciences of California, ticker symbol PACB. Manisha, this is not one I'm at all familiar with. Sure. So uh, PacBio is a sequencing-based company. Um, so right now we have Illumina. They do short-read sequencing. They have about over 90% share of the market. Um, so there's a huge end market for sequencing. So any gene therapy, gene editing system, or even immunotherapies, you need gene uh, seek or you need DNA sequencing, and even the diagnostic market. So the current question is. Are short reads enough? So uh, PacBio does something very different from Illumina, which is long reads. Um, we claim that we do, uh, or that we're able to sequence the entire human genome, so all 3.2 billion base pairs of DNA. Um, that's actually not true. Uh, One percent of the DNA we, we can't address. Uh, short reads just are—it's not specific enough, and it's not powerful enough. So PacBio. I, in, in my opinion, is one of the strongest contenders in long read sequencing. And you can see that with some of the partnerships they've had recently um, with, in, uh, with Invitae, with uh, Children's Mercy uh, Hospital, and even Microsoft. So um, I think they are someone to look out for. How speculative is it? Oh, it's definitely not speculative. It's more, it, honestly, the reason why PacBio has been under the radar is because of their price point. Uh, Illumina you know, in a, in a few years, um, I fully expect that the cost of whole human uh, genome sequencing will be less than $100. Um, right now, with long reads, uh, before it was $10,000. Right now, it's probably hovering around three or $4,000. But um, the cost is declining. And as that uh, cost decline, or as they write down the cost decline curve, uh, PacBio should become more relevant, um, especially in diagnosing rare diseases, um, and especially with the collaborations that they've made recently, um, I think 
you know, Illumina might be on the defensive, who knows? Um, but I think pack bio at the very least and long read sequencing, um, that's here to stay. So it's, a, it's just a matter of, you know, who's going to be the contender in long read DNA sequencing. We're going to go from pack bio to prec bio, which probably nobody calls. That is a precision biosciences, uh, ticker symbol DTIL. Manisha. Yes. So uh, precision biosciences. So I love gene editing. So we just talked about 3.2 billion base pairs of DNA that you and I have. Um, and, you know, it, you, you can have just one of those letters, so AT, represented by ATGC, just completely change. And you might die a year from now because you have a rare disease, um, which is terrifying. But that also is, I mean, the beauty of kind of life is that our bodies and cells are able to repair itself without any intervention. With gene editing, though, you know, sometimes our bodies don't work. You can directly go in and correct a gene that's faulty uh, and then just lead a normal life. So right now in the uh, limelight, has uh, so we have CRISPR genome editing, uh, but then there's a different type of uh, genome editing called Arcus Biotechnology, our I guess that's our editing system. So Precision Biosciences uses that. Um, so it's differentiated. They have the patents. Uh, it's called a homing endonuclease. Uh, so by that, basically, it's more specific. So you can expect less um, off-target effects. Um, but at the same time, you can also expect that less people know about it. So if you go to literature uh, and scientific literature, Scientists don't know too much about it. So basically, the onus is on precision biosciences to produce that um, knowledge and database of information. Um, right now, they're working on off-the-shelf uh, CAR-T therapy. Uh, so CAR-T therapy is an immunotherapy. So it takes um, a patient's cells uh, and re-engineers it and puts it back into the patient so that it directly kills cancerous cells. Uh, so they're going after non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and acute lymphoblastic leukemia. So that's really interesting. They're doing it off the shelf, so um, you don't have to have you know two or three week, uh, two or three weeks of a waiting period before you can get the therapeutic. Um, it's a very competitive market, uh, you know, CAR T, any immunotherapy. So I think the the judges are still out in terms of who are going to be leaders, but um, I think they're on the right road, given that allogeneic CAR-T, in my opinion, is where uh, immunotherapy is headed. Is this tech eventually, and, and when I say eventually, maybe it's 50 years from now, but is this kind of how we engineer ourselves to live, you know, 200 years or, or, or some crazy amount of time by turning off diseases, by, you know, engineering uh, weight loss, who knows what? It's possible. Um, there are there's an entire slew of private companies that are just focused on um, basically longevity research. So, you know, the, the, uh, part of DNA, so you, you could, uh, so they're, you know, bundled up in a chromosome and then we have, uh, you know, X amount of like numbers of chromosomes and biology is very complicated. And then we have something called telomeres, which can predict how long we live. So longevity research is, very exciting right now. We have companies that are focused on that. Um, I am a little skeptical a lot <laughs> of a lot of these companies because we just have we we just don't know what we don't know. Um, I think we're maybe probably uh, I would say two decades away before we have any kind of stance on that, uh, or maybe a little earlier. But people are definitely looking to change our genomes so that we live forever. 
I am very much hoping to be a real life Lazarus Long. If uh, if any of you are Robert Heinlein fans, uh, you would get that reference. Uh, one more for you, Manisha, and then we'll let you go get a cup of coffee while uh, while Matt and Austin take over. Sandeep David wants to know, and this is actually a company I own uh, based on you guys talking about it, Invitae Corporation, NVTA. Sure. So Invitae to me is the Amazon of genetic testing. I think it would be a disservice to Invitae um, if people compare it to a 23andMe or Ancest- uh, Ancestry.com. And the reason why I say that is because Invitae does clinical diagnosis of diseases. So yes, they're using DNA sequencing technology. Uh, for example, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier um, that Invitae and PacBio are partnered. They are sequ- basically Invitae is a low cost way of you know if you're planning for a family, will my child have a certain disease? So preparing for that. Um, and right now, uh, in the latest quarter, uh, their average sales price for a test um, was less than $250. That's incredible. And they've done a tremendous job of securing reimbursement. Um, this is still a nascent market. And what I love about Invitae is that they are an end-to-end provider. They, ju- they don't want to just, you know, here's your genomic data. They want to be like, okay, well, here's your genomic data. Uh, what does this mean? So they want a lifetime customer. So it's, okay, here's your genomic data. Here are genetic counselors that can tell you how to read this report. Because, I mean, to be honest, none of us actually understand what these genes mean. What does it mean if I have uh, more protein synthesis of X, Y, and uh, G gene or whatever it is? Um, what do I do now? And not only that, but they've, I mean, this year alone, they've had an record number of acquisitions. Um, and, and that is quite impressive. And it's not just willy nilly, let me just buy everything that's out there, but it's for a broader picture of end to end counseling. So it's how do I use AI for kind of predicting who's going to have what sort of um, hereditary disease or what, what does this variant do? Um, okay, well, so this patient has uh, this cancer or this disease, which uh, therapy out there is best suited for them? So actually helping the doctor decide what's the best therapeutic option. Um, so I think that is kind of an area that they're going out a bit. Um, and that, that's just fascinating. This is something we could do an entire show on, and I guarantee we will. Thank you, Manisha. Before we get to Matt, I want to bring up that a week from today on 7 Investing Now, that's the program you're watching, we're going to do something we've never done before. We're going to have all seven of us from 7 Investing. There's more people that work there, but we have seven lead advisors. We, of course, also have Sam Bailey, our marketing director, who's producing this show, directing this show behind the scenes. Next Friday, we're going to have everybody on, and we're going to answer your questions. We'll we'll share some prompts on Twitter. We're going to take questions live. And of course, right now, if you're watching, feel free, no matter what platform you're watching on, make a comment, say hello, ask us a question, whatever you like. But Matt, we're going to bring you up next. We're going to talk about MyTech. That is a ticker symbol M-I-T-K. That came to us from Miguel Angel Jimenez Montes. Matt, your thoughts on MyTech? Yeah, MyTech Systems, it's a $500 million company, and its primary revenue stream comes from its mobile deposit solution, which is used today by like consumers in the U.S. and Canada for mobile check deposits. So when you deposit a check, via your bank's mobile app, 
there's about a 30% chance you're using MyTech Systems technology uh, to do that. Uh, it also has a mobile verify solution, which verifies a user's identity online by scanning like an identity document, like say a driver's license, which helps enable an enterprise to verify the identity of the person with whom they're conducting business. Now, here's the thing about my tech. Its growth is fine. In its 2020 fiscal year, revenue grew 20% year over year. And its forward PE ratio is a very reasonable, like about 17, 18. It's, it's well under 20. The thing about MyTech and what's been holding its stock price back is the perception that checks eventually are going to go extinct. So that while it's growing fine now uh, and its short-term and medium-term prospects are probably fine, uh, it's, it, it's constantly called into question because of that long-term dynamic of are checks just going to disappear? And that, that's I, a pretty good question. Like, I, I can't say I entirely disagree with it. I've looked at the stock before to like take a position because I'm constantly uh, attracted to its growth and its valuation, but I've never taken a position because of that question. Yeah. So let me go around the room. I'll, I'll start with Austin. The last time I wrote, check, well, we write one check a month We for our parking space in our building via check. When we move in two weeks, my guess is I will write no checks a month. Manisha, how many checks do you write a month? Sorry there. Was on mute. Um, Sorry, I, I threw you completely for a loop coming to you out of the blue from nowhere. But how many checks a month? Zero. Um, I don't remember the last time I wrote a check. To be a Austin, do you know where your checkbook is? We, we write checks to nannies sometimes for our kids. But even that is moving to like... Venmo and and different stuff. So you can have my checks. <laughs> I, I, that's yeah. not a great idea. Like to to me, basing your business on checks, Matt, seems a little bit like they verify like your you know your uh, pelts that you're you're trying to barter with or your shiny beads or whatever it is. Like, are they addressing this possibility and and moving on? Well, like I said, they're trying to go into these other solutions, like their mobile verify solution, uh, which identifies people online by scanning an identification document, but. Uh, like the thing is, their checking business is still growing, and that's what catches people off guard. And it's what has me questioning it sometimes. Like when I do look at it, uh, but I, I just can't get on board with it. I can't. Yeah, it's a tough one for me. Matt Isidore Good wants to know about Flying Eagle Acquisition Corp. Uh, F E A C. This is an interesting one here. Yeah, so Flying Eagle Acquisition Corp, and full disclosure, I, I have a position in this, a small position, but a position, is a special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC uh, for short, which is an alternative to a traditional IPO as a way for companies to go public. Uh, this approach involves a financial sponsor initially creating a shell company. They use the shell company to accumulate funds from investors, and then they find and merge with another existing privately held operating company. And in this case, Flying Eagle has already found the company they're targeting. It's Skills, uh, spelled with a Z at the end. Skills is basically a platform game uh, developers can use for organizing and hosting uh, game tournament, like video game tournaments. And then they monetize and distribute uh, payments to players in the tournaments. It has uh, anti-cheat and anti-fraud tools the developers can easily plug into their games. It has social features. It manages loyalty rewards for games. So it's a way game developers can easily incorporate all of these cool features and tools into their games. Uh, 
as of right now, more than 10 million game developers have used its platform, and it's now been used to host billions of gaming tournaments. Uh, through the first nine months of 2020, Skills grew revenue 91% uh, with, listen to this, Austin, gross margins of 95%. Uh, soon after uh, Flying Eagle announced its deal to acquire Skills, uh, my friend Peru Saxena on Twitter alerted me to the deal through DMs. He's like, take a look at this company. And after looking it over, I, I did take a small position. That uh, I am out at Skills with a Z. That that is sounds too good to that be is absolutely absolutely not a spelling. That sounds like a failed, <laughs> uh, not very good rapper. Uh, skills <laughs> with a Z. That gross margin's too high, Matt. It's it's red. Good afternoon, Doris and Renee. Good afternoon, Cheyenne. We're starting to see some comments. We're also starting to see some spam in the comment section, which is uh, that's a new one. I've never seen that before. Uh, Matt, we've got one more here, and it's from at underscore we like Mike. I don't know anything about this company, so I'm going to assume it's golf related. Par Technology Corp, uh, and that is ticker symbol P-A-R. I'm probably wrong. Matt? It is not golf-related. It actually develops and markets products that assist uh, hospitality operators around the world. And when I say hospitality, think mostly restaurants uh, to better manage their money, materials, their people, and their guest experience. Uh, It's a leading provider of -of point-of-sale solutions to restaurants and retail outlets. It currently has about... 100,000 installations in 110 countries worldwide. And much like Square has done for small businesses, Par Technology wants to build out an ecosystem of products and services for restaurants around its point of sale solutions. So this includes things like obviously accepting card payments and chip cards, but also more exotic things such as payroll, inventory management, integrating catering and delivery options, uh, integrating mobile and online ordering for restaurants. And by doing this, the company believes it can become a sticky product for its customers. Uh, some of its customers include Arby's, uh, DQ, Five Guys, and Sweetgreen. Uh, through the first nine months of 2020, revenue grew 15% year over year. Uh, the company, So the company's been around for decades, and it hasn't done much, but it has a new young CEO. I hope I'm saying this right. So, Savneet Singh, who has some investors pretty excited. Uh, The company's goals are ambitious, and it's a crowded field with lots of competition. Uh, For me right now, it's squarely in that wait and see category to see how it performs in the coming year, in the coming quarters. Uh, But it has some people very excited. You're watching Seven Investing Now, and here's what we're doing. We're talking about under-the-radar stocks, stocks that people don't talk about enough. I'm Dan Klein, and we're moving to Austin Lieberman. Austin, uh, you want to talk about uh, – this comes from KW. You want to talk about Digital Turbine Inc. That's a symbol APPS. Yeah, and uh, Sandeep also uh, brought this one to our radar. So this is a company actually owns shares – back in like January, maybe December of last year. And it was only a small position. And uh, I do not, I no longer own shares because I sort of consolidated my portfolio into companies I was more confident with. Turns out to be a huge mistake, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but uh, we can't own, you know, every company. And and when it comes down to it, we got to have a belief in the companies that we own and familiarity with them, right? So uh, we all make those mistakes though. But anyways, the company um, basically simplifies content discovery and delivers it directly to mobile devices. So uh, it's on, it's a on-device media platform that powers frictionless app and content discovery, as well as user acquisition, uh, engagement. And then uh, they also 
or offer monetizing opportunities for different apps that are on these mobile devices. And so the company is performing really well over the last uh, year to date. The stock is up 492%, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, their quarterly year over year growth, uh, revenue growth was 116% in their last quarter. They've got um, pretty decent gross profit margins, but they're understandably a little bit low for the amount of investment that they've they've had to do uh, at 41%. And then the company's only trading at a, a forward price to sales ratio, a one year forward price to sales ratio of about 11, according to Y charts. And it's a, it's a $3.5 billion market cap. So uh, it's, it's an interesting company. They're, there has been some, and I'm not super familiar with uh, these news headlines, but the reason I sold it back when I did was because there was some uh, unfavorable news headlines about management um, previously, not necessarily recently. Uh, but it's it's a company I think is interesting, and um, it's not excessively valued in this in this crazy world where a lot of companies are arguably excessively valued, and it could have a lot yeah. of growth potential. And, and this is also like, this is the new frontier. I'm not speaking specifically about this company, but the amount of content that's out there is overwhelming and finding what you like, what you want, we're not doing a great job with it. So there's a lot of room for growth there. Again, not a comment on that company. We're going to talk about Medallia Inc. next. That's MDLA. That comes from uh, Sandeep Tahaya, Jawalant Bot, and at Lotus Infinity JB. Uh, again, Austin, this is not one I've ever heard of before. Yeah. So, um, Dan, if you've taken, you know, you you may have taken surveys about using a product or a service or something like that. And maybe that uh, Medallia is, that's the type of thing that they do. It may have come from Medallia. There's a couple other companies out there that do it. But in general, that's kind of what they do is uh, they have in, they call it the Medallia Experience Cloud. And it captures experience data from signal fields emitted by customers and employees. It, uh, of course, they've got uh, AI technology, which is kind of a buzzword to analyze structured and unstructured data from these signal fields across human, digital, and Internet of Things interaction. So what that's saying in layman terms is uh, not just through doing surveys, but also through uh, monitoring how people interact with apps and devices and how apps and devices interact with each other. They can also pull customer experience data from that. Uh, this is a company that I'm, I'm personally not interested in owning. I've never owned shares. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of competition out there and I'm, I'm not uh, a huge fan of, of how the business is operating compared to other opportunities, but, um, Q3 subscription revenue was 96.9 million, which was up 22% year over year. Uh, and then their third quarter total revenue was 121 million, which is up 17% year over year. So it's, it's only growing, uh, at 17% when we're talking total revenue. And uh, it's it's got a forward price to sales ratio, uh, a one year forward, which again, I, that's kind of what I look look at because it takes some some growth into perspective is, is around eight. Uh, and it's got a market cap of about four and a half billion. And so again, um, interesting company. I don't own shares. I'm not particularly interested because uh, there's a lot of competition out there. And uh, I don't think they're they're one of the best performing companies around. 
I will say to people in the comments, we appreciate you suggesting new companies, uh, but we've got a pretty packed show. So we're happy to take comments on the companies we're talking about on the show in general. We're probably not going to add any to the list because there's so many here. Uh, and there's one more from you, Austin. Eric Horowitz wants to know about Progeny Inc. That is P-G-N-Y. I am learning a lot today. Austin. Yeah. Out of the out of the three that I had, this is probably the one that I'm most interested in. Um, they... Uh, basically are engaged in uh, and they specialize in fertility and uh, family building benefits solutions. Um, and their clients include employers across various industries. So basically these are, they look to sign up employers that then want to offer fertility benefits. That's, that's kind of their main market right now um, to their, their employees. And this has been an interesting company this year because uh, they got crushed just like, pretty much every other company out there through COVID. We all know um, what COVID has done to employment, especially in the United States, but the long-term opportunity and market for this company, especially as we recover, uh, I, I only see this, this market getting larger and more important. And the company is performing well. They uh, re recently reported third quarter revenue of uh, 98 million. They raised their, uh, guidance for the full year of 2020 and uh, up to 345 million. And that reflects uh, 48 to 50% growth. Um, and then if we're, we're just looking at uh, market cap and then that, that forward price to sales ratio, again, remember we've got about 60, 60% year over year revenue growth, and it's only at a um, about a six forward price to sales ratio, which is, is pretty reasonable given the opportunity uh, and the market cap is only three billion, so that's one that uh, I'm very interested in. I can see it being a much larger company in the future than it is right now, and, and it's not a. They're in a real market, and they're providing a, a real service to people. People watching like uh, Growth to Growth and Ashwin, if you want us to talk about some of the companies on your list, uh, feel free to hit us up at Seven Investing on Twitter. We're gonna do next Friday, all of us taking your questions. So we are more than open. And normally we would take some of the questions on the fly, but we've just got so much here. We're going to go to me now. I'm actually going to kick off what I'll think of as the entertainment part of the show. Going to talk about a couple of stocks. Then we're going to seg to Matt doing what we're watching. We're going to talk about what I think is the end of the movie theater. Uh, Alan Sokoloff wants to know about CBS Corporation. That's V-I-A-C. It's kind of a legacy ticker uh, from, from being Viacom. So here, here's the problem with CBS. Do you really want to own like the fourth best or the third best broadcast network with an older skewing audience and not really a great digital platform? To me, there's just better people to buy in this space. And, and you know, in a look, it's, it's a decent package of content. But in the streaming world, where we're only going to pay for so much. Are we really getting CBS All Access or, or whatever they're calling it now? I don't think we are. And then TJ, which is a great Twitter handle, at Contrarian Duck, uh, wants to know about Fubo TV. Fubo TV is a subscription TV service, like a Sling TV. It's sports-centric, and there's some possibility of them adding sports betting. This is one where I don't know who the winners are going to be, and I feel like there's every chance that that this is going to be so splintered that none of these are big winners. You know, Sling TV is right now the leader. Hulu, Hulu Live is probably right there as well. Fubu t TV to me is very speculative. They don't own their content, so so much of their revenue goes out to paying for ESPN, for all these streaming networks, for all the sports content they're they're re-airing. To me, it's a low-margin business. It is not one I would want to be in. 
It is now time to move to what we're watching. Remember, you're watching Seven Investing now. Matt, this one this one shocked me yesterday. Uh, Warner Brothers, which yeah, is big news, which is owned by AT and T, came out yesterday, and then they're going to send all 17 movies they have planned for theatrical release this year. They're going to be on HBO Max uh, for a month, and they're not going to charge you more on HBO Max. So they'd already said they were going to do this for Wonder Woman, uh, and that's fine. That's like Disney pulling Mulan. You know, it's it's not unprecedented. But basically, they said if you get HBO Max, you get all our movies this year. To me, that's it for movie theaters. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, so this is big, Dan. And remember, like like you said, it's owned by AT and T. Uh, Warner Brothers is owned by AT and T, and all seventeen of their movies next year, like, are going to be on HBO Max. It's going to be for a one month window, starting when the the it's released in the theaters. It'll be on HBO Max for a month, and then they're taking it off. Uh, but with 17 movies, that's going to be a pretty regular cadence, uh, more than one per month. Um, and this includes big movies. So this includes movies like Matrix 4, uh, the big screen ad- adaptation of Dune, uh, the Suicide Squad. So there's big movies included in this. Um, like just getting into like some of the details, it probably will include more generous terms for movie theater owners. Uh, it but, was already reported but l- l- that... L- let, uh, me, let me jump in. What could that even mean? If they gave movie theaters owners 100%, it's 100% of what I'm going to guess is nothing that very few people given the option during a pandemic to watch a movie in their house on a service they probably already have. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a big call to go to theaters. Uh, no, no, it doesn't. And uh, like, <laughs> like, I mean, they have to, do, I mean, and they do that to like, so the theaters just won't boycott the movies, right? Because if they didn't do that, like the theaters would just say, well, we're not showing your movies. And I think Warner Brothers is like trying to capture like that's that slice of uh, we, we want to have our at least some profits from the theaters and, and our, our cut from that and recoup some marketing expenses. But we'll also want to like this to really juice up our, our streaming service. And, and Dan, I, I think I have a horrible hot take for this. And I, I, I think I disagree with you a little bit. Like it definitely could be a game changer. Um, it, it, this definitely could be the moment we all look back in a few years and say, this is what sounded the death knell for movie theaters as we know them. Um, but like, I, I wonder, like, is there any chance, like, you know, after months of pandemic, we're just going to see like consumers are going to be hungry to get out when they can. And maybe go see like big movies like Matrix Four on the big screen. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty right now, and I don't know uh, if 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 this is the death of the movie theaters for sure. So let me go conspiracy theory here, Matt. So I think they're trying to kill movie theaters, and here's what I think is going to happen: we have about two thirds too many screens because. It's already kind of been established that we'll go see Matrix 4. We don't really want to go see, you know, a, a light comedy, a rom-com. Like, those are films that play better at home. Whereas, sure, Avengers or the next Star Wars, it's good to see those in a theater. I think this ends up with a consortium of studios, probably including Netflix, probably including Disney, probably including uh, Warner Brothers, owning some amount of movie theaters. Matt, am I wrong there? Uh I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I don't know. Uh, you you know this area better than me. Uh, like I, I I don't know. Dan, is there a possible future maybe where the studios like Warner Brothers, like Disney, own the theaters and like like and they own them and operate them, and that way they control the entire vertical. There used to be laws against that, but I think those laws were repealed. 
Is there a future where that can happen? Those laws were repealed. I see this as a Hulu situation where the entire industry, it's not going to make sense based on the output. If you're putting out 17 movies a year, you're not going to need a a chain of 12 screen movie theaters. But if you start to team up with your competitors, you hire an independent CEO. I think that's the only way the movie theaters survive. I want to talk about this more. We'll do a podcast on it at some point, but I want to move on. Uh, Misha, you wanted to talk about Pfizer has scaled back its 2020 uh, COVID-19 vaccine production targets from 100 million to 50 million doses. They also said they're confident that in 2021, they'll be able to supply 1.3 billion doses. What does this mean in the general field of uh, life getting back to somewhat normal? Sure. So I think, you know, I'll start off with what we've done in these past 10 months uh, has been amazing. Uh, never before have we been able to approve a drug uh, after a pandemic this quickly, or by a drug, I mean a vaccine. Um, so this is from research, um, understanding the strain, and then kind of going through the entire process, and then having a manufacturing production kind of cycle where we can produce enough that we can commercially go out there and be like, hey, do you want a vaccine? So that's amazing. Um in the U.S., there's still yet to be one that's approved. Uh, so Pfizer uh, actually was one of the first to be approved uh, by a Western uh, country, and that was uh, the U.K. earlier this week. So uh, the U.K. bought about, um, I think it was two, well, two additional, uh, two million doses uh, for their citizens. Um, so that's really encouraging. But one of the things that this highlights is it's not that easy to create a vaccine. Um, part of the reason that and they did not anticipate this is the cold storage issue is not to be trivial, uh, tri- trivialized. Sorry about that. Um, uh, this vaccine has to be stored at negative 80, which is a bit of a problem. Right. And that also means for hospitals uh, in rural areas, how do we even ship vaccines to those areas? And they don't even have uh, the cold storage uh, uh, capacity to even store these vaccines. So right now, distribution is going to be a huge issue. But what that also highlights is that we can't just bet on one company to come out and be the winner in term, well, quote unquote, winner. Um, No one's winning. We're just trying to address a problem. Um, but we need basically a cohesive group of vaccine manufacturers coming together. And you, you, it's almost kind of a tablet. Um, you kind of pick and choose which flavor do you want of a vaccine? Do you want the Pfizer vaccine? Do you want the Moderna vaccine? Um, and then there are a lot of earlier stage companies, uh, Inovio, Arcturus. Um, so Arcturus is based on mRNA and with the potential of uh, having a one dose vaccine. So that's really interesting. I'm looking out for that. Um, I think that is also more convenient for people. So just one vaccine, you're done. You don't need a second dose. What we've seen from AstraZeneca's data for uh, COVID-19 vaccine is after you get a second dose, the efficacy kind of drops. And part of the reason is the viral vector that is used to um, actually give you immunization. So after the first dose, your body recognizes that viral vector as, oh, okay, this is foreign. But then the second dose is like, okay, well, let me make sure and kill that virus off. So you're not getting the full effect of the vaccine. So a single dose is the paradigm. Um, AstraZeneca is doing a tried and true approach to it. Oftentimes it takes about two years to get to that. Um, Arturis 
if they're successful, um, you know, it's mRNA based, a single dose. So that could be very interesting uh, to look up for. Um, but one of the things that we haven't even talked about and, you know, having vaccines out there is extremely interesting because all of us want to go outside and play. Um, we <laughs> oh, yes, we absolutely do. <laughs> and I, I, I want to be on a plane, even if the plane just flies around in the sky and comes back. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we all feel that pain. Um, and unfortunately, it's, it's not going to be that simple. Um, we haven't started even, you know, looking at, you know, what's the efficacy rate in pregnant women or for children? Um, for, you know, I think Moderna is one of the first companies to start uh, doing that study. So that is encouraging. Um, but that's gonna be a long process as well. And then, you know, with COVID-19 and uh, this novel virus, uh, what's, I mean, endemically, how do we treat it? So right now, we're still in a pandemic. But afterwards, is this going to be something like the flu, where each year, do you need a vaccine? We don't know that. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, and we will have to see what happens. Yeah, let me jump in with, with sort of one question. So I've been reading about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and it's in third stage trials. It looks like it's likely to be effective. We don't, we don't know that answer yet. Uh, but it can be kept in a regular refrigerator, and it's likely a single-dose vaccine. Is that kind of the key to, to unlocking everything, is to have, you know, in the cities where you have these freezers, you can have the, the two-hit negative 80, has to be stored cold. And then in rural places or CVSs, you know, you can have these one-take vaccines that can be kept in more, you know, every CVS has a refrigerator. Like, you know, you can figure that out. You could use schools to administer them. Is that kind of the key to, uh, you know, getting, quote, back to normal? I do think so. Um, you know, we're going to have a variety of approaches. Uh, you know, geographically, I think it's just impossible to have um, everyone have a vaccine that has to be stored in, you know, minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit uh, conditions. It's just not possible um, economically. So um, what you're saying makes perfect sense. And, you know, part of it is, unfortunately, uh, by the end of the year, if projections are correct, a lot of um well, a lot of American citizens are going to have uh, COVID-19. Uh, they'll be diagnosed with it. Um, so that provides them immunity uh, in the future. Um, and then, you know, if we are able to roll out enough doses of um, COVID-19 vaccines, that should be enough to at least protect us all um, to get back to normal. Um, I, what you were saying about J&J, &J, you know, go to a CVS, get a shot. Yes. Um, that would be kind of the uh, the holy grail of what we'd want in a vaccine. So um, hopefully they show good efficacy. Um, one thing that we just have to wait with time is the durability of immunity towards COVID-19. Um, and that will, I mean, only time will tell with that. So how long uh, do these vaccines work before you need to redose? Before we move on to Austin, Max Lucas asks a question uh, uh, that I need to give a little context to. He says, Dan, are you still going on your cruise in January? So I booked a few months ago, January and February cruises, and usually I get comped. In this case, I actually paid for them. The prices were really low, and I never expected to go on them. They have been canceled. All, all cruising has been canceled through the end of February. I expect there probably will be some limited trips in March you know, and picking up a little bit more in April, but I actually booked those, and this is a financial show, so this is a, a way to save money. 
any cash you put in, Royal Caribbean was giving you 125% credit if your trip gets canceled. My trip got canceled. I can roll that money into my account, use it for other things. I'll probably use it to take friends on trips next year. But Austin, let's get back to it. Uh, you want to talk about C-Limited. They were selected for the to, uh, they're going to be getting a full bank license in Singapore. Give some context. Explain what this means. Yeah, so uh, ticker is SE. Um, a lot of people out there on Twitter land and, and that are watching this have probably heard of SE. But if not, just some quick context on the company. So they're a leading global consumer internet company that was founded in Singapore. And their mission is to, according to them, better the lives of consumers and small businesses with technology. And so the big thing with them, they have three core business businesses, uh, uh, Garena or Garena, which is digital entertainment. So that's a, that's a, a really huge game that they've got. Um, Shopee, which is e-commerce. If, if we're in the U.S. or Canada, we've heard of this little company called <laughs> Shopify, um, kind of similar to that platform. And then they have C-Money and digital payments. And so there's this idea of them getting this banking license. I've, I've heard it, you know, rumors of it over the last, I don't know, three, four, maybe five months. And now uh, it looks like it, it happened. And the interesting thing about this company, and Matt here is, is much more of an expert uh, on fintech and, and finance. But what this is an example of to me, it's a really interesting way of the approach that C has taken to build a company. It's, it's almost the first company that I know of that has started with a massive uh, game and audience from playing a game that they've been able to monetize. And that's where uh, actually until recently, most of their revenue came from. And now I believe most of their revenue comes from the e-commerce side. But from that initial, initial reputation and game audience, they expanded into e-commerce and then they, they are expanding into digital payments. And so when we think about how big games are becoming and and different, uh, there's different ways that that could be monetized. They're more and more popular. And then and it just makes a lot of sense to branch out into e-commerce and digital payments. It's not going to work in every country. Um, so we can't just think, Hey, there's companies in the U S that are going to be able to follow the same model, but, um, C has done it extremely well. And I think that this, uh, is just an interesting example of their optionality. I don't know how well, uh, it's going to, it's going to work for them in terms of banking. I know there's some additional risks, which I think Matt's going to mention briefly. Uh, but it's just really interesting to me that the stock people like the news. Apparently it's up 10% today. Uh, and, and so it's been an exciting story. The stock's done in incredibly well and the company has a lot of optionality. Matt, you wanted to chime in here. So I will give you uh, your 30 seconds to speak. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, it's just interesting because most fintechs will decide to partner with banks and not actually be the bank. And sure, when they partner with banks, the banks do get a cut, but the banks also hold all the, the credit liability risk too. And that's what makes like some fintechs like so attractive because they're asset light, but they can still offer very popular financial services. So what this does, like just for instance, just take like last month when Ant Financial was about to like finally have their IPO and it was going to be the biggest IPO ever. And right before uh, they had the IPO, the Chinese government came in and said, you partner with all these fintech banks. Uh, Ant Financial had about 100 partnering banks. And they said, actually, now uh, Ant Financial used to source uh, 
2% of their loans that they give to people. And the Chinese regulars came in and said, now you're going to have to source 30% of those loans. And they were like responsible now for a much more credit liability risk. And that completely tanked their IPO. And they postponed it now. It looks like maybe not until 2022 is Ant Financial going to IPO because their valuation just, just tanked on that news. And, and that's the, because that's the route most fintechs go. They don't want to hold that credit risk. Uh, another example, like a few years ago, PayPal sold their consumer uh, credit, uh, their consumer credit to uh, Synchrony Financial. And as soon as PayPal did that, that unlocked so much potential for them. It unlocked a lot of their assets. So now that didn't have to be like held in reserves for that credit risk. It could be used for acquisitions. And that's when PayPal went on, like started buying uh, like companies like iZettle and like other companies and it just unlocked their potential and it allowed their valuation to go much higher. So it allows C5 and I'm a holder in C. I'm a big fan of the company. I like what they do. Um, But it's just an interesting route because most fintechs will decide not to go that route because they don't want to have that credit liability risk. You're watching Seven Investing now. This program is, of course, from the team at Seven Investing. What are we? We're a subscription-based service that gives you our best seven stock picks each month. Each one of us makes a pick, and we give you not only a 2,000-word write-up on why we made the pick, we also give you access to a video call where all of us present to everyone else, and you get to see what the questions are. What the, You don't just get the bull case. You also get the bear case. You also get what the questions are. We are nearing, and of course, if you want to subscribe, go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. Important to get that out there. Thank you, Sam Bailey. Max Lucas, you're on a roll today. Austin, I think you're going to want to take this question, but I want to give a little bit of, of context. A lot of times when a stock moves 10% up, 10% down in a day, the answer is either there's no reason or the reason isn't that important. It's it's some dumb thing one analyst picked out. In this case, uh, Max Lucas asked about the big move Fastly is making today. Austin, would you like to comment? Yeah, and... Uh, Max, great question, Dan. I was this was going to be my second what I'm watching today that I didn't know I was watching <laughs> because it happened in the middle of the day. Um, I did see those rumors. It. I hope it. I own Fastly. Yeah, the the, room, the rumor to get it, it out there is that Cisco is going to buy them. If uh, for people who are just listening who didn't see the clip on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Fastly. Shareholder been vocal about it. Um, the stock has been volatile. I wouldn't be surprised that there's companies interested in acquiring Fastly, Cloudflare. Um, the reason is, is because they're doing something really interesting and exciting with edge networks, as well as, as we think about internet of things and connectivity in the future. Um, what Fastly does is going to be very important and it makes them a really interesting acquisition for a company like Cisco, who uh, Fastly could potentially benefit from the large scale enterprises that uh, Cisco already has in their customer base, as well as their enterprise sales. Um, and then Cisco could benefit from the software and the technology and the network that that Fastly has, uh, which is arguably, you know, the future. Uh, it's not really arguably the future. It is. It's clearly the future. And so it's really interesting. Uh, I'm not doing any. I'm keeping my shares, just leaving them as is. Wouldn't be surprised if it's true. Wouldn't be surprised if it's not true. I hope it's not true because I want to see Fastly just keep growing on its own. Um, but interesting thing in the news. And it's just an example. Fastly was at like $70 a share two weeks ago and uh, just buy great companies and hold on to them. 
and be prepared for volatility. Uh, you know, stocks are moving big moves for reasons that maybe wouldn't have moved them. It's a really uncertain world right now. We've had a long show today, so we're not doing the home stretch. We're going to skip right to our finisher. Sam Bailey, share the graphic. Uh, thank you, Sam. Which company will close 2022 with the highest market cap? Uh, right now, the highest market cap would be Apple. That came in second at 35.2%. About half of you, 49.5% said Amazon, 7.2% for Microsoft, 8.2% for Alphabet. That, of course, would be Google. Um, I'm not so sure about this. I, I, I actually think Microsoft has really big runway. Matt Cochran, you can go first, then Manisha, then Austin. Matt, your thoughts here. Well, actually, I, I voted for Microsoft, too. Um, you know, they just in so many great spaces for enterprise software and their teams now is taking off like 115 million daily active users, which is kind of becoming their operating interface for all their software applications. Uh, you know, it's it's to me, it's in all the right places, but none of those companies are bad bets. And uh, I really don't know. So that's just my guess. Microsoft. Yeah, I- I'm a big fan of all four companies. Manisha, I know these are kind of mainstream companies, but I'm sure you've heard of them. Sure. Um, And surprisingly enough, um, I also voted for Microsoft. Uh, And because they have a huge biotech play, I think with Amazon and they probably hate me because I have so many Amazon returns that are just like stockpiled in the corner of the room. Um, they, they actually track but, that and have an algorithm where at some point they will shut you off. So that is important yeah. to remember. I, I, I don't think I'm quite there yet, but it's mostly because it's snowing out here and I just don't want to trudge out in the snow. Um, but yes, uh, I, 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 hey, Amazon and my life are intertwined. But that being said, um, Microsoft has a lot of room to grow when it comes to healthcare. They partner with Invitae. Um, they're also doing a lot of AI work for guiding CRISPR therapy. So as they're moving into healthcare, I think there's a lot of room for them to grow in the market cap to grow, um, at least in that sector. I'm 90% sure Austin wrote in fastly on this on this uh, poll, but uh, Austin, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, there's 99% no way any of those companies catch up to Apple by the end of the year. It's Apple's got a $2 trillion market cap. The next closest is 1.6. There's no way they're catching up. And I think 2022, 2022. Oh, 2022. I guess I need to pay attention. Uh, <laughs> Apple. I like what they're doing with, with their new, uh, the M1 release. So I think, I think it's going to be Apple. I don't know. I have the iPhone 12 and it is, in no way different from the iPhone 11. Uh, I'm sure it does all sorts of things that are unnecessary uh, that I will That's never exactly use. exactly why but... Apple's going to keep, why it's going to keep, you just bought a new phone for no reason. Look. look uh, and I, and I'm going to do it again next year too. That is the problem. This was a marathon episode. It was a marathon week. We're going to be back on Monday at noon, but remember next Friday, we've got the whole team and we're taking your questions. It's going to be a very special show. We've never tried that. And also there's the train wreck effect. Can I do a show with seven people? That is going to be a little tricky to figure out as well. So it might go well. It might go terribly. It will be entertaining either way. But that finishes up today's episode of 7investing now. If you have questions for us, send us an email to info at 7investing.com. That's going to go to whoever on the team it's most appropriate for. We try really hard to get back to you quickly. And of course, we're all on social media. You can see our Twitter handles as we go. But if you want to hit the whole team, hit us up at at 7investing.com. 
folks, team, this was an excellent show. I'm tired. It's been a long morning. We've done a lot of video today. Uh, so for Misha, for Austin, for Matt, I'm Dan Klein. We will see you Monday. that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.